Well, welcome to the station of decapitation without your head. I'm Nasty Neil. I'm Treacherous Trista. We're joined by Aaron Moorhead. Hello. Hello. And Justin Benson. Hey, how's it going, guys? Very good. A Synchronic, which comes out on Video on Demand the 12th and on Blu-ray the 26th. It's very good to have you guys here. Oh, we're, we're so happy to be here. Thanks for taking some time right at the end of the year. This is cool. Yeah, yeah, it's very cool. So I guess, first of all, and it's a weird movie to ask this, but can you give people an idea of what the movie's about? Probably not too in-depth, because I think it's better not to know too much. Gosh, yeah. I mean, wait, it's funny. We haven't had to pitch it in so long, but I, 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 I'm going to, I'm just going to, I just want the challenge. I want to try to stumble through like a log line. Uh, and I believe it, it is uh, two New Orleans paramedics. Uh, they've been friends for, for many decades and they start coming across these very mysterious first responder calls that are all linked by this uh, mysterious uh, uh, designer synthetic drug. Uh, and I think that's about the good, I think that's the good place to, to leave it. Yeah. Yeah. Now I know, uh, your previous films, uh, you know, people say they're Lovecraftian, they have, you know, uh, delve into Lovecraft. So was there any similar, uh, anything involving their DMT and Lovecraft's like, uh, uh, some stuff with DMT? Well, it's funny is it's, you know, the effects of DMT are not totally similar to what ends up with synchronic. So it's not quite based off of that, but when uh, when Justin was writing Synchronic, um, one of the little touchstones for it, it was it From Beyond? Yeah. 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 It was From Beyond, which is where if you stimulate the, uh, I'm sorry, Lovecraft's From Beyond. Yeah. Um, and in that, there's this idea that if you stimulate the pineal gland, yeah. then you're able to see, you know, uh, creatures from other dimensions and such. And, and there is an idea of, of uh, stimulation of the pineal gland and Synchronic allowing you to see other things, but we don't want to. I don't know how smart we are. We'll, we'll do whatever. Does this get edited? I don't know. <laughs> uh, no, but I mean, if I if you want to, I'll edit anything out. You know, if you say something, you don't want you don't want us to put out there. But I actually wrote that in my notes of Pineal Gland because uh, not like I'm a big Joe Rogan fan. I'm more of a Lovecraft guy. But uh, I, I like that it's in there. And it's if you don't know the connection, it doesn't matter. But if you do, I think it's a cool little uh, I don't know Easter egg, but a little uh, a little part there in the movie. Yeah. Do you guys think? Lovecraft would have listened to Joe Rogan. That's a that's an interesting question. Uh, I don't, I don't think, think so. I don't know. I don't. I'm gonna. I don't want to disagree with you because you seem a lot smarter than me. But <laughs> I don't know about that. But. I have to respectfully disagree. I think. Okay. I think Lovecraft would be like an early listener. Oh my god! Yeah. Be like, my answer was yes. <laughs> uh, my answer was a capital hell yes. I think but, it would be. But you you bring up something really interesting we've never talked about before, and it's that. Um, uh, Joe Rogan wasn't a pop culture phenomenon when the script was written. At least we didn't know about it, mm-hmm. but we're behind on fashions in general. I don't know. No, it's very true. <laughs> yeah, there's any, anything about DMT or pineal gland or anything like that. That was, uh, we were writing it about it before it was on mainstream podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> and now, and now we're just like, yee. Yeah. <laughs> It's like people who love like Metallica before the Black Album. Like, hey, we liked them before. We liked DMT before Joe Rogan was talking about it. I like that. Yeah. That is cool. Yeah. So what, what actually, then you mentioned that. Like, when did you write the script? Uh, it was the end of 2015. Like December, the, the, the first draft. The first draft was like December 2015. Um, November the earliest. Because I, uh, I remember I went snowboarding. 
the weekend the first draft was finished. Um, so it has to be wintertime. My sleuthing yeah. brain. So it was like, I assume then you wrote it before, like Endless? You did Endless? Yeah. 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 Like a couple, oh, like a year before. A little over a year before. Yeah. Yeah. So just like timelines, timeline wise, like why did that this one come or get made after Endless? Uh, well, it's uh, I mean it's the business gods. Um, that's there's there's this idea that you know filmmakers they come to Hollywood and they have this plan and they're like my so for my third movie I will do this you know and for my fourth movie it will be a comment upon my third <laughs> and uh, not in we have never been blessed with stuff like that. Synchronic was. Uh, too high of a budget for us to get made after our first two indie movies. The Endless was kind of made in response to our inability to get synchronic, but also a few other projects, you know, that kind of required a lot of gatekeepers to say yes. That's, that's kind of a, I'm sorry, that's a sardonic term. A lot of people to um, trust an indie filmmaker with more money. That's a way to say it. Um, and, uh, and we just weren't at that level yet. And, um, and so the Endless was made in response to our inability to make, something with a larger budget. We say, well, let's just go make something that's even smaller than our last one um, so that we can actually be filmmakers rather than, you know, people that are just waiting for the email. Right. Uh, Endless had, um, I don't know, Easter egg is the right term, but had like a callback to one of your previous movies. Is there anything in Synchronic that calls back to any of the other movies? There's a, there's a couple small, there's a couple small things that I, they're, they are, uh, they're kind of more fun to find, I suppose, in watching it. Um, yeah. They're pretty obvious once you find them. One of them is super obvious. And then the other one, it's like once you see it, you're like, how did I never see that before? <laughs> it's a little close-up of it. Yeah. yeah. It's probably uh, too early to ask like, if people have, have found those yet. Yeah. Uh, it's funny. Yes, I would say that, that here and there people will find them. One of them is a line of dialogue that uh, you'll know when they mention Southern California. And the other one is a prop. You will recognize uh, someone's holding something from the endless. Is that yeah. vague enough? Yeah. 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 And actually, there's uh, something that, that we don't talk about much, I realize, but there's a lot of um, uh, thematic explorations that are, that are similar. Now, that's a little too vague to be like, oh, it's all in the same universe the way that right. the end and resolution are. But, uh, but explorations of, of uh, how time moves through people and, and, ideas of living in the moment and that kind of, you know, themes that can be written on the, the inside of like a holiday card or something. Um, the, the, a lot of our movies share that. So, yeah. Are those ideas hard to pitch to somebody to make a movie about? Because, you know, a lot of people think science fiction, think like star Wars or something, but you know, this is like true science fiction. I don't know. I mean, my quick go-to answer to that is everything's hard for us to pitch. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like we've never made a movie that had like a, like an easy pitch. Have, have you two seen spring by any chance? Yeah. Yeah. I actually saw it at the theater in, uh, in Brooklyn in Massachusetts. Oh, that's so cool. So cool. Um, that, I mean, when I think back to trying to get that movie made, my memory is it is that Aaron and I don't have voices because we pitched it on death <laughs> so many times. Like, yeah. like so many people, uh, and it was a long pitch yeah. and, uh, and, and yeah, and it was like impossible. It was it, it impossible at the time to, to get it made. To be fair, we had only done a $20,000 chamber piece uh, and we were asking to go make a movie in Italy with expensive creature effects. Yeah. So yeah. it wasn't, 
It was a. It, it was. Guess, it was ambitious. Yeah. Once again, being very <laughs> fair to the people saying yeah. no. These aren't just yeah. like mean gatekeepers without an imagination. It's like, no, that's a that's a pretty big ask. <laughs> that's, a, that's a pretty big ask. Yeah. Yeah. We we had we had this movie about uh, the turn of the century occultist uh, Aleister Crowley. I think that is the one we pitched. I mean, we, we pitched it as like a, a movie, a TV show, everything. But the movie, even the movie version, I look back on that. I'm like, we pitched that so many times. So many times. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's just a script on a hard drive. But that's all part. It's like all like, I don't know. It's weird. I think that like part of your um, your growth as a filmmaker is just pitching things off a lot that don't necessarily get made, but you're becoming a better storyteller in the process of just like talking about these unmade projects so much. Yeah. By the way, Trista, your cat's um, tail is poking up, but it's right where if you had a tail, it would have been. <laughs> and it was like, I don't and, know and about the if really part. Literally, as if like interested <laughs> in what was being said, just a slow <laughs> wavering. <laughs> We're seeing some connections to the spring here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, Trista, did you have a question? I'm sorry to take all the questions. No, not at all. Um, by the way, I do have a question, but I, I also wanted to say thank you for um, talking about the process of pitching. And um, uh, I think that's important for aspiring filmmakers to hear, uh, similar to actors and other artists, like that rejection is just part of the job and that's how you hone the craft. And uh, if you keep going and keep working, you just get better and, and then you get to make stuff. So I think that's really important. I appreciate that. Um, my question is, I know that the film uh, takes place in uh, New Orleans, and I was wondering if it was shot there in its entirety. Mm, that's a uh, good question. Yes. Uh, yes, it was. Um, uh, both takes place in New Orleans and was shot there. We had one day of pickups where, you know, you'll see like a shot of a baby. and We couldn't get a baby on the day, so we had to like shoot a baby in Los Angeles some other time. Uh, now, yeah. now, now, when you watch the movie, you'll know when it's a close up of the baby that it's actually North Hollywood. Yeah. It totally, totally takes me out of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I'm pulling back the curtain. Um, but uh, but yeah, but interestingly, um, Synchronic may or may not appear, depending on who's watching, to be a big budget movie. It is not a big budget movie. It is a very small budget. It is about as small as it gets before you don't have unions kind of thing. Like it's, it's the smallest version of it. Um, and doing so, what's interesting about that is shooting in New Orleans is rather expensive to shoot the places that you recognize visually. Um, and so, it's, so, you know, a lot of it, you have to go to the, the one that kind of looks like the ninth ward or kind of looks like this or that. So we couldn't shoot in like the French quarter. It's impossible, even though scenes take place there. Um, and, uh, and it's interesting to know that where it's like, oh, sometimes you just can't get enough New Orleans. And in some ways, we feel like we've done a disservice to the city of New Orleans, not making it New Orleans enough, even though it's still a very New Orleans movie. We, we, uh, we, got, we got to have one scene set in the Garden District, um, sort of right outside Lafayette Cemetery. And the scene literally ends in front of um, Anne Rice's house, the, the author of The Vampire Chronicles. And that was so cool. But like that night was a fire drill. It was just like, okay, you guys got to land and they got to just, they get one take because this is, this is so expensive. This is one long <laughs> they, take. They're going to walk down the street three times. You better get it. And uh, everyone better know their lines. And then uh, they're getting to do it a few times. And then we're going to take all these gigantic vehicles <laughs> across the bridge an hour away in the, um, 
the part uh, that you guys can afford to shoot in on this movie. You need to go to the other cemetery that that isn't a common cemetery because the ones that you would normally shoot in, we didn't have the money for. So yeah, it was, it's funny. It's all like kind of like, like one degree off of the iconic things, but also in some ways it made us look less like a tourist. That was yeah, I was going to think that. I bet people from New Orleans, if they watch a movie, they, you know, you if you're from there, you're probably like, oh, they're shooting and all those things we, we always see in everything, you know, that takes yeah. place in New Orleans. So it's probably cool to shoot some other things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, you talked about not being a big budget movie. So, like, when you're making the movie, what's the thought process of, like, how you're going to make what it looks like to be in, on Synchronic and kind of, uh, I don't know if time travel is the right word for that, but just the look of, like, the, the special effects. The... The, the bigger sequences that are probably more memorable with the, the that have a visual effects component of what the experience of Synchronic is like for the user, um, those were things that Aaron and I shot on his iPhone several months prior. Uh, in terms of like like what the camera move looks like, and then Aaron would would comp in some uh, some rough VFX to, and then we would talk, and then we'd be able to show this to the VFX company and everyone involved, and be like, hey, this is basically, you know, more or less what, what it would look like and what we hoped it would look like. Um, but the, I guess the shorter answer is the, the few times you see it happen, those shots are months and months of, uh, of work and preparation um, and, uh, and working with uh, our amazing visual effects company. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Who did they, that same company that did the visual effects for, um, what is that amazing French film? I was oh, Enter the Void. Enter the Void. I'm, I'm embarrassed. Maybe edit, I didn't know that that movie title. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can we edit that part? No. So. Uh, how about just the, when you're thinking about how things look, is that written in the script? Like what point uh, is that like fleshed out how, how things are going to look? Yeah. I mean, it's the, the way that Justin writes the script is almost always designed for the way that we shoot it. Uh, it's, it's not uncommon at all for, the, especially the last shot of a movie or the first to be in the script, but it's, it's all over the place. Um, but there's also stuff where we kind of came up with it unexpectedly. Like the um, there's, there's a really long single take right in the beginning of the movie. Um, that was, it was not that until about a week and a half before we shot it. Um, and uh, normally we plan everything months in advance. And that was something where it came down like a, lightning storm as we were making some plans with our first assistant director who made a joke about the scene being one long shot. And, uh, and we suddenly realized it's like, that's not a funny joke. That's just what's really going to happen. That's exactly how it should be. So, yeah. How, how did uh, you guys get together, you know, to collaborate on the films? Um, we were, uh, we were interns at a commercial production company in, in San Diego, uh, about, about 10 years ago. And um, Aaron had just gotten out to LA from uh, from Florida, and um, and I, I had been in and out of LA a little bit. I was kind of on my last like like my last like attempt at like making a living as a filmmaker, um, and uh, and Aaron was just getting started in LA, uh, and it was interesting because um, he kind of ended up our our working dynamic and friendship ended up being the reason why I didn't ultimately leave. Um, and he may be thinking now at this point, he's like, I'm out now. Like, I don't want to live <laughs> anymore. Well, I don't want, it's that. not that it's more like, 
like if I hadn't met Justin, I probably would be directing Jurassic World three. And and now I'm just doing this, you know, slumming it, so, slumming it with me. Yeah. yeah. Mm. I think I think it's worked out. All all jokes aside, uh, it is incredibly fun to make movies with your best friend. I can I just can't tell you. Directing is known as a very lonely job. It is not lonely for us. It's wonderful. And we made some insane movies. I mean, not the I'm not pumping up the final product what they turn out to be. You no, know, some people insane. like them, some like them. But we made we've like we've had productions that are just like if if someone asked us to write like a chapter of a book about it, they'd be like, they exaggerated. That that didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. that, that that like it's like, oh, they they shouldn't be alive. <laughs> Can you give us an example? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, The Endless was a movie where we were in the movie, uh, never having acted before, really. I mean, we kind of had, but not not in any real way. Um, and uh, um, I'm sorry if I bring this up. Oh, but, yeah, but, no, you know, no, no. but like two weeks before we were supposed to be shooting this movie that was kind of our like bucket movie in a way, as we described earlier, that, that it was kind of this response to not being able to get another movie made. Um, and so we wrote a movie that's like, no one can stop us. We'll be in it. But two weeks before um, his uh, Justin's mother passed away. And, and at the same time, and that was all of us were dealing with that Justin, especially um, of course. And it, and it was very sudden and unexpected. And, um, and then, and then also I moved like three days before and the place that I moved into wasn't ready and so there was just like, we were out of home, out of family, moving into the middle of nowhere to go shoot a movie. We didn't know if it would actually like be anything worth making. It was this bizarre thing that was referential to a movie that nobody had ever seen, Resolution. And it was just this huge gamble that by the end of it, we were like laughing like crack addicts into the sunrise. Just can't believe it actually even existed because it should have killed us so many times over, you know? And we were shooting a really weird movie at a, uh, a children's Christian camp that like, I mean, I don't know how they didn't kick us out. <laughs> like, I don't literally making a movie about a UFO death cult at a Christian. Camp. And they were just like, I love sci-fi movies. They were like super cool. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know if they ever saw the movie? No, no idea. No, idea. <laughs> yeah. you, know, you know, what's funny though, is we leave a copy of, um, a resolution in the cabin at the resolution, the actual, the, the set where it was shot. And um, it just got to the point where like people can stay in it and stuff. But our, our, our real hope is that someday someone will stay there and like, they won't know we made that movie there. And I was like, pull out this DVD and put it in the old <laughs> player there yeah. and just like be absolutely horrified that they're stuck in some twilight zone. <laughs> <laughs> <I love laughs> yeah. Uh, Tris, you have another question? I, I sure do. I'd also like to contribute that laughing like crack addicts into the sunrise is my new favorite expression. That's <laughs> I'm going to use it often. Um, so you have a great cast in the film. What was the casting process like? Oh, it, was, it was crazy because... I don't know. Okay, so if it was... The movie was cast in... 2017. I came on your idea. I think it was cast in 2017, um, and we had been, we had been trying to get cast like that to be in our films since 2012. 
So for about five years, anytime we, we, we had a script go out that we, they were like, well, if you want to make it to make the money work, you need to have, you know, an actor of a certain caliber come on board. Um, but we're obviously like, we're not, we're nobody. And, um, the motive is not high to have that script read. I don't know if those scripts got read or not. I do know those movies never got cast. We never really had access to those types of actors. And then um, there was this one agent at uh, UTA in Houston, Costa, who saw The Endless at a movie theater in North Hollywood. And he just, like, he just really loved it very sincerely. And he's like, I'll just help you guys get your next movie made. And he got um, Jamie Dornan to read it first. And he, he responded well to it. And then, um, and then uh, within the company, they got uh, Anthony to read it. And it was, again, it was like, it was by far the first time we had ever had anything like that. Yeah. yeah. And actually, if you know uh, the filmmaker, Joe Lynch, who's a friend of ours. Oh, yeah. Uh, he In was. Our first year of the show, he's on the show, yeah. Oh, that's great. Oh, yeah. He's just such a good, uh, it's weird to say, he's a good interview, but like, more like, I like talking with that guy over beers. He's like really fun. Um, the, uh, uh, he was shooting point blank for Netflix uh, when we were about to go out to Anthony Mackie. And, um, and we just asked like, Hey man, you know, is, is how's Mackie to work with? And he's like, you guys are going out to Mackie. Oh my gosh. I'm just going to walk over and talk to him right now. He's, I'm going to tell him he's got to just do whatever you, you do. Um, and uh, so that was, you know, rumor has it, you know, and Anthony says he heard about us through the Russo brothers, which is interesting. We don't know what that means. So Yeah. <laughs> It worked out. Yeah, so, uh, uh, Synchronic played festivals. Uh, did it play the festivals uh, before they went virtual, before the pandemic? Yeah, it was like right before. Um, luckily, luckily, we did get to see it with the festival audience. And um, the last couple places we saw it were awesome. We saw it at this film festival in, um, in well, there's, there's a London version and there's a Glasgow version, uh, Fright oh, Fest. Fright Fest, yeah. I've been and, there. And oh man, that is just one of the best film festivals in the world. It is so cool. Yeah. Um, and then after that, we saw it uh, at Miami International, and the last film festival we were ever at, Miami International. Not ever, but right. all this happened. We were on the plane on the way home when everything was getting pretty bad. Yeah, um, I remember. I remember uh, on the plane on the way there. You know, that was when everyone was starting to get. Like, are they going to shut the borders? You know, just, but we didn't quite know much yet. And I saw my first person wearing a, a mask and I was like, that person looks awesome. <laughs> like, <laughs> it, was just, it wasn't a common sight yet. And I was just like, right. they look so cool. They look, because it was like fashion. It looked really cool. Yeah. It wasn't a medical mask. It was like a full, it was like a custom cool mask. Yeah. Right. So how, how has that affected how the movie was released? Oh man, it is honestly, it's so complicated. It's, it's, it's so complicated because um, th- there, there is, you know, especially a movie, even though it is a not a big budget movie, it's still kind of like the biggest movie we've done probably. And that comes with certain contracts in place for exhibition that are just completely out of mostly out of our control. Um, and uh, and these are unprecedented times. And it was. Yeah. It's but what's really cool now. It's we're just really happy that it's becoming available to everyone yeah. now. Yeah, we're really happy because it comes out on VOD on the 12th, 12th uh, of January, something like that. Yeah, um, the 12th. Sorry, that's the wrong date. <laughs> the 12th and uh, Blue Ran the 26th. Yes. I, didn't, I didn't know it at all. We got one job. That yeah. was 
<laughs> that was, we had one job on this thing. Yeah. I didn't. It's out on the as well. Yeah. Pretty cool. Uh, Trust you have more. Another question. Yeah, I really fell in love with the dog in the film. <laughs> so um, I'd love to know where you got that actor. Yeah. Um, so Hollywood is that dog's real name, um, and uh, who is a rescue, and uh, and there's a there was an a, a dog trainer that worked with rescue dogs, and uh, and it's funny, Hollywood in real life is ex- is very much like his on screen presence. Actually, he's very timid, very, timid. very quiet. Um, for the, the very first scene we ever shot with him was Anthony running out the door uh, in how do I say this, rural Louisiana without describing it, but running out the door with him. And the thing was, is he didn't like running very much. He's a very chill dog. But, uh, but on, on like take three, um, he, he was, he started running and then he looked behind him and he saw Anthony behind him running with him and thought that Anthony was chasing him and got terrified and just bolted so far and, uh, and it was this kind of funny thing where, where it's like, no, 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 he's not chasing you. He's, he's acting with you, you know. Um, but he came to the rap party and everybody like loved on him and all of that. He's a, he's a very chill dog. He, uh, you know, Anthony Mack, he's obviously like, oh, he might literally be one of the most charismatic people on the planet. Uh, but what's funny is that dog had such a like... Uh, a mercurial relationship with him because he's because he's in scenes where like you said he's loud and he's chasing him and like there'd be certain days where hollywood would you couldn't get him off anthony he'd just be in anthony's lap oh like so funny. and you would yeah, just yeah. be attached to him and there'd be other days where maybe it was a loud scene and he hollywood wanted nothing to do with anyone on that set and they had to bring an emotional support dog the, uh, yeah, they had another, they had this little like friend dog that would just. Hollywood like, has an emotional support dog. Oh, no, my a giant, giant, a giant Rottweiler named Titus. Titus. What is happening? <laughs> really? Yeah. And Titus would chill, chill Hollywood out. Yeah. What's so funny? I want to watch this movie. <laughs> What's really fun also is, um, you know, the, uh, uh, the, the the script called for like this dog that was like really like the the joke of the dog was that it wasn't it wasn't a joke the way that we played the dog as we approached it in the script before we cast Hollywood was that after Steve would go through something really traumatic and terrifying he would then come home to or appear or whatever you know to his dog and the dog would just jump all over him like oh you're home you know like like just excited as hell. And obviously he didn't have that relationship with Anthony, but also it just wasn't that dog period. And we completely on the fly rewrote the character of Hawking, which is the character that Hollywood plays, I just feels we didn't say, um, to, to be like the humor of it was that he would just stare at him. <laughs> completely stoic and just stare at him all the time from the corner. And that was even funnier that it was just like the dog just watches him <laughs> and you could use an edit to make that work. I love it. Yeah. So uh, Synchronic comes out on the 12th on Video on Demand and then the 26th on Blu-ray. And I uh, hope people check it out. It's been very cool to have you guys on the show. Love doing this. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah thank you for having us. In case thank you, guys. Yeah. Thank you, uh, thank you. Yeah. I know we have to go, but Neil, can you send me uh, your your sweater, please? Because I, I, <laughs> I was in a match when you mentioned Twilight Zone. I was like, oh, I have a Twilight Zone. Uh, I wore it because I thought it, it was kind of connected to the movies so. yeah. well do you know we we directed an episode of the new twilight zone oh yeah i did i did see that on uh i haven't actually watched uh because i don't have the the channel it's on but uh yeah 
it's I want to get it and binge watch them all, but yeah. It's it's really worth we we're really proud of that episode and it's uh, oh there's the alarm. Um okay. it's really cool and it was really cool to be part of the Twilight Zone canon. Yeah, that yeah, that's awesome. I'm gonna have to check that out for sure. Very cool. Well thanks guys. Thanks guys. Happy Thank New you. Year. Yep. Bye. From ancient terrors to the search for modern day conspiracies, the tomb of Nick Cage is the new sound in horror rock. Uncover the mystery of old world horror for the new world order on iTunes, Amazon, and more. We should have The tomb of Nick Cage. They're coming at night! Mostly! 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 Find out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The tomb of Nick Cage. They're coming at night!